This is Big Dreams, Bold Moves, the podcast inspiring families like yours to discover endless possibilities for living abroad, because life is too short to settle. I'm Malia, and I will be your host as we travel around the world speaking with experienced expats and experts. We're going to learn how to get visas, make money, and find jobs abroad. We'll get a behind-the-scenes look at what everyday life with kids is really like in different countries and get you the answers you need to go from daydreaming to international move-making. Now, let's get on our way. Hello! Today we're going to be speaking with Austin Smith. She is the host of the Expat Hour podcast, and she's going to share with us her family's story of relocating from the U.S., to Hilversum, which is a suburb outside of Amsterdam in the Netherlands. But before we get started, I need to ask you a question. Have you told people about your family's big international dreams or the bold adventurous moves you're planning and they look at you like you're totally nuts? You are not alone. Become a supporter of this podcast on Patreon see the link in the show notes, and get access to our Facebook group where you can connect with other families like yours around the world that are also going places. It's a place where you can ask your questions, share your experiences, discover resources, and network, 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 because teamwork will make your dream work. Now, before we get going, I want to shine some light on AmsterdamFamilies.com. If your family is seriously considering a move to the Netherlands, check out their website. They've got basically everything you need to know about um, the education system, uh, activities, events, buying a house in the area, what you need to know about getting a mortgage, um, kid-friendly places to eat in Amsterdam. They even have a podcast. So be sure and check out AmsterdamFamilies.com if you're seriously interested in moving to Amsterdam or the greater Netherlands. If you would like me to shine some light on your service or content, head over to that Patreon link in the show notes and see how you can very affordably sponsor an episode. Okay, now without any further ado, please meet Austin Smith. Welcome, Austin, to Big Dreams, Bold Moves. Thank you. So nice to be here. And where exactly are you um, speaking with us from today? I am in a little suburb outside of Amsterdam in a town called Hilversum in the Netherlands. What was life like for you in uh, Portland before you moved to Hilversum? Okay, we had been, so we'd been married about, I don't know, 11 years or so. And we had been moving around every couple of years since we got married. And so in the last few years before we moved, we had finally bought our first house and we're like doing renovations and settling down and we bought a dog and I was like, okay, this is where we're going to be. And I had just gotten pregnant with my fourth baby. And so we thought we were in it for the long haul. And, um, I was probably seven months pregnant when my husband walked in the door and he's like, guess what? I have a job opportunity in Amsterdam. And it's like, nothing can really prepare you for that moment, right? It just was so unexpected, so out of the blue and the timing could not have been worse for us. Like I was about to have my fourth baby. Like if I knew that was going to happen, like there would be no fourth baby because why? Right. And so, um, but I just felt like we couldn't say no to that opportunity. And back when we first got together, like when we first got married, 
you know, we talked about how he, he had lived in his early twenties in Asia, in Thailand and had learned Thai and like loved that experience. So he always had these aspirations, like in business, like, Oh, wouldn't it be so cool if we went to an international move, you know, and our kids went to international school and we just like did that. And I was like, yeah, that'd be awesome. I honestly never thought it would happen. And if it did, I, I would just assumed it would be Asia because he speaks Thai and there's so much business in that part of the world. And so to me, this was completely unexpected, but I feel like you just can't say no to that opportunity because who knows when else it would happen if ever. And so we did it. We just started putting the plans in motion and ended up in Amsterdam. Oh my gosh. So uh, how did your friends and family react to that? It's so funny. So like when he first was like, I I think I have an opportunity. I was like texting my mom, like, guess what? We might be moving to Amsterdam. She thought it was a joke. And then when I finally was like, it's happening. She was like, what? You were serious about that? She just, same as me, never thought it would happen. But I think that's how most people reacted. You know, they were like, because it was uprooting our entire family, they just couldn't even really fathom like, that's so huge. Like why (laughs) it's so disruptive to your family. Like, but I think they were all really excited for us and thought like, what an amazing opportunity. And I understand why you're doing that. So, um, you know, everybody was super supportive, but obviously it's very difficult to leave your community and your friends and family. And that's the hardest part about moving abroad. Yeah. And what did the kids say? They were still pretty young. Our oldest was eight at the time. And um, he was the one I was the most worried about. He was super worried. He has a little bit of anxiety to begin with. And he was really worried about like making friends. Mm -hmm. And so um, that was his big concern. And the other ones were just kind of like, okay. Like they had no idea what that means to move to Amsterdam. They were like, all right. And um, it ended up being like not an issue at all. It was 100% okay with the kids. And I had a much harder transition than the kids did. They went to school and it was just like, boom, like international school. Everybody's used to moving or having new kids. We went to a school that had just barely opened up. And so all the new kids were there together. Everybody was new in the whole class. And so it was just like instant friendships. No little clicks were formed. It was just everybody embraced everybody. And so it was wonderful. They had such a good transition and the school just going from public school, which was a wonderful public school system to the international school. We're at a, um, our kids are at a IB school, international baccalaureate. And the two systems are just so night and day different from each other that, um, and they completely thrive. I mean, they just like wake up, they're excited to go to school. It's fun. They love it. They come home super excited and telling me everything they did. And I feel like even from kindergarten in the States, they came home just with like glazed over eyes, you know, like, what'd you do at school? And they're like, uh, nothing. Cause what they did was a lot of worksheets and a lot of sitting in class, you know? And so, um, that was one like really surprising positive thing about moving over is like the school. And that's what we, we originally had planned to be here only two years. And the school is what made us extend our time because we just loved it so much. Okay. How long have you been there now? Um, let's see about two and a half years now. Okay. Yeah. So if we go back a little bit, mm-hmm. um, I'm imagining your husband's company, if they were relocating you for work, did a lot of the, the logistical planning with, in terms of like 
did you move your whole house over? Yeah, we did basically. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and they did. They hired like a or they used a third party like relocation service, and they took care of everything. It was really really nice. We didn't have to do hardly anything. Did they also so, help you um, find the school? Um. Yeah, I'm not really. I think they just they were like most people go to this school. Okay, you know, and so we had just talked to a bunch of people and gotten, you know, the the um, lowdown on what to do and where to go. Cool. And it wasn't um, hard to get a spot at that school. Uh, no, so I I think you, it can be hard, but I think because my husband works for a, a well known popular company that. Um, that has a good reputation. They were pretty eager to accept us. And because we have a lot of kids. <laughs> so it's a lot of tuition money. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, and how was it finding housing? Did you have something arranged before you left or did you have to arrive in Amsterdam and then find something more permanent? Um, it was kind of a nightmare. So because I was seven months pregnant, I couldn't do like a house hunting trip because it couldn't fly that late into my pregnancy or I didn't want to. So my husband did that alone. So he found a rental house and upon moving here, it wasn't available for us yet. And also it had no furniture in it. It took about six to eight weeks for our stuff to arrive. So we had to have temporary housing. So the company that we worked with um, found a place for us, but it was a nightmare. It really was like a nightmare Um, because they don't really know the areas, right? They're like, Oh, you know, here's a hotel somewhere. Not really thinking like our whole lives is in the city in Hilversum. And so they put us in this industrial section of Amsterdam where literally it's like, um, you know, factories and buildings. And so here I am with three little kids and a newborn. My baby was seven weeks old when we moved and um, we're stuck in this tiny, tiny hotel room in an industrial part of the city. And so my husband's off to work and then I'm left alone trying to figure out what to do all day. We couldn't even go for walks. I mean, we could, but it's like, you know, here's a factory and here's a sidewalk. I mean, what am I supposed to do with the kids? So it was kind of, and then it's like, we can go home, we can watch Netflix for four hours, but then like we need to do something else after that. You know, So that part was horrible. And looking back, I really wished the company did give us an option of moving into our place and like temporarily furnishing it. And I really wish I had done that because at least I would have been in the town I was in and I could get to know it and I could start to make friends. Um, But to me at the time, it seemed better to like be in a hotel where like there's food and there's, you know, a TV and stuff like that. But it ended up being horrible. And there was a miscommunication between the company in the hotel. And so they kicked us out early and my husband was on a business trip at the time. So I was completely alone in this hotel room and I get a call, like you have to be out by five o'clock and I wasn't even home. And I was like, okay, which in theory doesn't seem that crazy, but we had just moved. Like we had moved every, as much as we could. So we had like 16 suitcases, you know, um, we'd been living there. So we had like cupboards and fridge full of food. And then I had three car seats, the baby bed, like all the baby gear, the stroller, the, you know, so it's like, even just to move all that stuff took two full size, like taxis just to shove it all in the car. Right. So it was just such a nightmare. 
and we did end up getting kicked out of it. And then we had to find scramble to like find another place. And the company was like, sorry, we can't find anything. (laughs) And I just had to laugh because I was so overwhelmed. Like, okay, we'll figure it out. So we ended up finding our own like temporary hotels for a couple days until we could get into our house. But, um, so it was really a rough transition to say the least. Oh my gosh. To say the least, that sounds so stressful. Yeah. Especially with a newborn baby. Uh, I have a friend that just moved here and she's had a rough time. And I said, um, I think most of us can relate to that really rough first couple months living in those temporary housing situations, often sort of isolated because I don't know. I don't know if it's everywhere, but a lot of times it feels like it's hard to find that temporary housing um, in a good location. And I said, don't worry. You'll probably block this all out just like the rest of us. (laughs) Do you feel like you've sort of blocked that out? Completely. And it helps that I was getting like a couple hours of sleep a night. Like it's all just a haze. And it's like, I don't want to revisit that. I just know it really sucked. But you know what happened is like during this whole thing. So we were in there for what, five or six weeks. And during this process, school had started. So I was doing the commute, you know, back and forth. And so here I am like feeling so sorry for my situation. But what I realized is like, is the same situation that everyone was in because we were at this school where almost everyone was new. And so I quickly was like, okay, this sucks, but I'm not alone in this, right? Like some people were living in a bungalow park. Some people, like I had one friend who was living in her house, but it wasn't furnished. So they were literally just like sleeping on the floor in an empty house for weeks, you know, and she'd just like go to the grocery store every day and get food for a meal or whatever, you know? And so I was like, okay, Like, I want everyone to be like, oh my gosh, Austin, like this really sucks for you. But everyone was like, yeah, we're all in the same boat. And so there really was some comfort in like, you know, misery in numbers. (laughs) And it sounds like you were able to sort of find um, some support pretty quickly. Did you, before you came to Amsterdam, did you get in touch with anyone or find any like helpful blogs that helped you? sort of prepare yourself? Yeah. I wish I had done that better. I know I have a couple of friends who were so good at that, like a year in advance, we're getting on Facebook groups and actually had like made substantial friendships so that when they arrived, people greeted them with open arms, like, Oh my gosh, come over for dinner. Let's get the kids together. And they like instantly had friends. I was in, I was so overwhelmed with our situation because I had a newborn. I was pregnant. Like from the time we found out to when we moved was just a few months. And during that time I had a baby. And so I really was just trying to survive. So I didn't do any research. I was just like, there's a company helping us. And that's all I can do because I have to just keep myself alive and keep my kids alive. And so, um, so friendships were actually really difficult for me, not because people weren't friendly, but because of my situation that I was, that I had a newborn and I was, also adjusting to having four kids, which really felt so overwhelming for me. And, um, I, I think that I'm a bit of an introvert. Um, I'm super friendly and I have an easy time talking to people But when it comes to like, um, I'm an introvert in the sense that I need a lot of alone time and I need to recharge. So having a newborn so hard for me because you have this little, like, person on you 24 seven. So any opportunity I got to get a break from that, I had to take it because I want, I needed to be alone and I need to like 
recharge and think. And so it was really difficult for me because I'd be at the school playground, you know, dropping off the kids and everyone would be like, let's go get coffee. It was like that for 18 months. Everyone's trying to make friends and get to know each other. So like, where are we going today? Let's go get coffee. And I felt so torn because part of me wanted to do that. But the other part of me was so exhausted. And I knew if I went home, I'd get a break for a second. And so, you know, like I had to really weigh the options. Like I'm barely holding it together. I need a nap so bad, or I need like, you know, 30 minutes to myself to just like sit without anyone on me that I had to take it, you know? So it was slow for me to make friends, to make substantial friends. Everyone was so inclusive and so supportive, but it probably took a good year for me to start to feel comfortable and to feel like, okay, now I'm ready to like emerge from the postpartum (laughs) hazy cloud, you know, that happens to you after you have a baby sometimes. That all on its own is huge. At what point do you feel like you started to like notice that you were also in the Netherlands and like all the languages in Dutch and everything's totally different? (laughs) That's so funny. When did I notice? That's so funny. Yeah. Instantly. I mean, I was, I was super uncomfortable being from America. It's embarrassing to say this, but I feel like there is this attitude of like, um, arrogance. You know, it's like we have a lot of immigrants in the States and a lot of, um, you know, people visiting and staying a long time. And so, and I grew up in El Paso, Texas, which is right on the border of Mexico. And so I grew up with some prejudice, I think just getting really frustrated. Like you moved to America, you learn English, we speak English here. And so I was very already super sensitive about that, that I didn't speak Dutch. And I was really embarrassed about it. And so instantly, like the first, the first interaction I had, I felt so ashamed and so embarrassed that I didn't speak the language. And what I didn't realize is, first of all, it was really humbling, right? Because now I'm on the other side of it. So now I have so much compassion for people who do this. And I just want to go back to America and hug all the people and be like, I'll take you to the store. Like, come with me. I'll be your friend. I'll help you. This is so hard, right? So that's one part of it. But the other part of it is like, um, uh, the Dutch don't care. They actually don't care at all. If you don't speak the language, there's such a high proficiency of English here. They start learning it at a very young age and everyone speaks it so, so well, it's the best country in the world. And so we're spoiled in a way that, um, pretty much anywhere you go, you can say, I'm sorry, do you mind if we speak English? And they're like, of course. Like that doesn't stress me out in the least bit. Maybe they'll be like, I don't know, we'll try. And then they'll go on (laughs) to speak amazing English. And so, um, but there definitely was a discomfort there with not knowing the language and not being able to read signs. And, you know, um, when you move to a new country, you sort of get thrown in the deep end. And I was really unprepared for that because I thought it's Western Europe. Like, you know, it's like America, just a few differences. And I, and I really was grossly unprepared for just how different another country is. The food is different. Like grocery shopping was so difficult for me. And that's something that you have to instantly do. Like the day you get there, now you have to find food. And I remember that being hard for a good six months like to not have a streamlined process. It's like, I've got my Google translate in one hand and I'm, you know, a a 20 minute grocery shopping trip is actually an hour and a half because I'm trying to find 
the foods I'm used to and where are they? What do they look like? I remember I found milk in a bag one time and that's just something I've never been exposed to. And so now it's easy because I know what stuff looks like. I know where frozen chicken nuggets are if I'm in a bind, right? But back then I had no idea. So that sort of stuff was really difficult. And it took a long time for me to like um, embrace it. And I remember, you know, we moved here thinking two years and I remember just like white knuckling it for the first like good while and being like, okay, only 17 more months. I can do it for 17 more. Okay. 16 more months. I can do this and crying for probably six months. You know, it took me a good, a good while to feel like to get to the acceptance phase of like, okay, we're here and I need to accept it. And then it wasn't long after that before I liked it. You know, maybe at the year mark, I was like, okay, this is not so bad. Like now I'm not counting down the days till we go home. And once I hit that two-year mark, I was like, yeah, let's, we need to stay here. This is amazing. And like, did you also start driving right away when you were there? Yeah. Like, Gosh. because yes, <laughs> driving, that's another thing. That's like, you think, yeah, I know I've been driving for 20 years. Right. And I remember being in the, but it was so different. Like in the States, I was just used to like huge wide roads. And then we moved to Europe and Amsterdam is like teeny tiny roads. And not only that, but there's bike lanes everywhere on every road. There's a bike lane. And then there's also trolleys and buses and pedestrians. Right. So it was so busy and I was stressed out of my mind. Like just so much chaos. It was, my brain couldn't even like process what was happening. And I remember sitting in my hotel room and just like staring out the window at the cars, like trying to figure it out. Like, okay, so there's a stop sign. What happens? And just watching it for like an hour. There's a bike. Okay. And on the road, they have these, um, they call them shark teeth. It's like an upside down triangle, like a yield sign, but there's like a row of them. And I didn't know what it meant. And, um, so I remember watching like they're on the bike lanes and on the car lanes. And I remember staring like what's happening here. So just by watching, I figured it meant if the shark teeth are pointing at you, you're going the right direction, <laughs> but it turns out it's a yield. It means slow down or, and, or stop. If there's a car, you need to stop. So I did not know that. And so I quickly learned like, you know, I had one day where I was going around some roundabouts and there were shark teeth and I was supposed to stop and I didn't. And I almost got in a really horrible accident twice. It was on the same day. And so then I was like, oh, I think I'm doing this wrong. I think I need to, I think that actually means I have to stop. And so, um, and like, that's on me. Right. But you just don't assume like, you don't, you don't know what to expect, but also it feels kind of irresponsible for a country to be like, yeah, you can drive here. Like, welcome to our country. Go ahead and drive. Like there should maybe be like a 15 minute YouTube tutorial. That's like, yeah. here's the driving rules, you know, at the very least, like now, or if I could go back, like, I mean, that's my responsibility. Maybe I should have looked that up, but it's just something you don't think about. So you could you know? just go straight from there with your U.S. driver's license. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So where we live, they, um, Germany has gone through every licensing body in the world and determined which ones meet up to their standards. So since I had a driver's license from Oregon, I had to retest um, the written part. And if I would have been from Washington, I would have just had reciprocity. 
But if you're from California, you have to do the driving and the written part. And the written part is the hardest test I've ever taken in my entire life. And I'm assuming a lot of the rules of the road in Germany apply to like in, in the Netherlands, um, because I think it's very similar signage. But um, there are so many rules. It's hard for me to even remember all of them. But yeah, like things that have to do with like, if you go over a cobbled road that affects like who has right away and different things like this. I don't know mm-hmm. what shark teeth are, but maybe they call it something else here. Yeah. Yeah. So stressful, yes. but I can't even imagine. I feel like if um, we were going to Amsterdam or the Amsterdam area, I would be terrified of driving because there are so many bikes and pedestrians and traffic yes. and canals. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And the rules are very strict with bikers. Like Somebody told me if you're sitting still and a biker runs into you, you can potentially go to jail. <laughs> like, what? I think the rules are really strict with bikes, like because it's so dangerous. Like you have to be so aware of bicyclists. So, um, but on the flip side, if I'm on my bike, like really the drivers are are super alert. Like I feel very safe on my bike because you're trained to always be looking for bikes. So that's really nice. How much does your family? take the car now versus like walking or cycling? We almost always cycle. Yeah. Cause we live in a little village. It's so cute. There's like a church right in the middle and then like a city center around the church. And then the neighborhoods are outside of that. It's like a little circle. And then on the outside it's enclosed by like a meadow and a forest. So it's like this little protected city. It's so cute. And so you can go from one side to the other on a bike, probably in 20 minutes. It's a tiny town. So we really bike most places. Um, I drive to like get groceries or if we're going, you know, if we're going on a trip somewhere, you know, like a little weekend, you know, if we're going to a new city, to a museum or something, we'll drive. But my husband bikes to work. We bike to school. Um, my kids bike to their swim, swim practice and their soccer, you know, practice. So it's awesome. I love that part about living in the Netherlands, living so- in the Netherlands. <laughs> It kind of sounds a lot like where we live and where we live, it's very normal for kids, your kids' ages even to like cycle themselves to like soccer practice and come home or like go to school by themselves and come home walking or cycling and kids kind of like run free and it's safe enough that no one's really concerned about it. Is that how it is in Hilversum also? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It feels very safe here. Um, and other adults are, are looking out for kids as well. So I feel like even if, you know, something were to happen to with one of my kids, I feel like everyone it's like a little village, like everyone is aware and they're protective and they'll jump in if they need to. Um, but yeah, kids are super independent from a very young age in the Netherlands. They start biking very young and the parents put their, they like bike next to them and they put their hand on the shoulder of their kids or on their bike to help steady them and like help, help them like learn the rules. And then by the time they're, you know, six, they're biking next to their parents, they're going to school. And then not too long after that, they're going by themselves. It's amazing. How have your um, children reacted to the safety culture in the U.S. when you go back on like visits? Have they noticed that there's a difference? Uh, 
I don't think they notice much because when we go back, it's like we're on vacation. So we're like hanging out with family and, you know, camping and doing fun stuff. But um, they certainly love the freedom here, right? They feel, they feel like they're adults. You know, my oldest is 10 now and um, I think it makes him feel really good. You know, like he can take care of himself and he's got his own house key and he bikes everywhere and he's fine, you know? And, um, in the States, I never would let him do that, you know, not because they don't trust him, but he's going to get hit by a car. Like nobody's paying attention. They're not trained to be looking, they're texting, they're driving too fast. They're reckless. And, um, you know, I wouldn't even let him ride in our own neighborhood back home. So he loves it. And I love it too. It makes my life a lot easier. Okay. Yeah. I was the gonna funny say thing how- is though, I don't know if it's like this in Europe or in uh, Germany, but <laughs> it was shocking to me just like the difference in safety culture, just in general. Like I remember going to a little, you know, indoor playhouse and the stuff that kids were climbing on was shocking. Like we didn't have to sign anything. First of all, there was no waiver or like anything like this. Like you pay your entrance and way to go. No employees were regulating anything or monitoring the behavior of kids. It was just like the responsibilities on you as a parent, you know, and here's a dangerous thing your kids can climb on. And if you don't want them to do it, then it's, it's on you. Right. But like there was this, (laughs) oh gosh, it must've been 15 feet high. And it's like, you climb up and then you, you hang from the top and you just drop and it's like a straight drop down. And then at the very bottom, like it catches you and you kind of curve. And I, and I remember seeing that, like my kids are not going to do that. Right. But then you see everyone doing it and nobody seems freaked out. So you're like, okay. And so it didn't take long for me to be like, Hey, we just let, we just let kids, you know, learn to manage their body. (laughs) But the American in me like freaks out at so many things. But then you see that other parents are like, it's fine. And then it's like, okay. But they're really like, I hardly ever do I ever sign a, a safety waiver where, you know, that says, you know, you, we're not liable if your kid gets hurt or whatever. Never. It's just like, here you go. My son went to a parkour class. Do you know what that is? Mm-hmm. Like this like street ninja kind of stuff where you're like doing flips off walls and stuff like that. So you can take a class here in a gym and they set up obstacles, like things that walls you climb and things you do flips off of stuff. So my son had never done gymnastics or like anything like this. I didn't have to sign anything. He just went into the class. We we were there for a free trial class. And I remember, so he's eight. And I remember they set up this obstacle that was like a huge platform you know, maybe 10 feet in the air. And in front of it was a small trampoline. And in front of that was like a little mat. So you're supposed to jump off this wall, bounce on the trampoline, do a flip and land on the mat. So I'm thinking like, surely they're going to spot him. Like they know it's his first class, you know, like it seems kind of insane to be like, jump off this wall and then do a flip. (laughs) And nobody did anything. They were just like, here's what you're supposed to do. And the teacher like demonstrated and they're like, go ahead. And it's like this class filled with like boys, you know, of ages like seven to 12. And they all, they all just go. And I remember being like, okay, like just watching with huge eyes, like what's going to happen. And he totally did it. But it was like, like my heart was pounding, like, what? somebody's going to break their neck. Nobody's even helping these kids, you know, but it just made me realize like, maybe the kids are okay. Like maybe we're super overprotective, you know, helicopter parenting. And I think back to my childhood, like 
my parents weren't that concerned about what I was doing at the playground or if I was doing flips off stuff. I just kind of managed my own body. And if something was scary, I didn't do it, you know? So that's been interesting to see and fun and free. It's interesting that they let you watch that class. I don't know what your experience has been, but like for me here, um, when it's like swim lessons or ballet or anything like that, the parents just drop the kids off and usually you can't watch at all, which sounds very different than what I've heard about in the US where you, like all the parents stand around and watch the act, whatever the activity is. Is mm-hmm. How is it typically there? Mm. It's, I, they let you watch. It's not like they don't let you, but most parents don't, they just kind of like drop off and leave. And I've started doing that too. Cause it's nice to be able to go run an errand or something. Yeah. But yeah. I feel like, um, sometimes in the U S now after being there for a few months this summer, I'm like, I don't know, the more European mom and I'm not paying enough attention. And I feel like the other parents are constantly looking at me like, whose kids are these? You know? <laughs> So how do you feel like this has changed you as a parent? Oh, I'm definitely more open-minded. I let my kids have a lot more freedom. Um, So I'm less controlling in that sense. My kids might say otherwise, but um, yeah, I'm just much more relaxed. And I don't feel, I don't feel so much pressure to be like really involved in my kid's life. You know, it's like, you just kind of follow suit and you look around and everyone's really relaxed about it. So it's, it's really freeing and it's really nice. I think we're all enjoying, you know, the parent child relationship a lot more than in the States where I felt like I had to be involved in everything. Yeah. That's so cool. How have Mm -hmm. things been like, um, how is the Mm -hmm. healthcare there? How does that work? It's great. I love it. Um, I'm not sure if, if it's like this everywhere, but in my experience, so we live in a little neighborhood and there's a doctor in your neighborhood that is kind of assigned to the people who live in your vicinity. So it's literally from my door to the doctor's door, maybe a four minute walk. It's just around the corner. And, um, when we moved here, they came to our house And they were like, we just like to get to know like our patients and like, tell me about yourself and like got our medical history. They came to our house. I just couldn't believe that. And um, so the system is, um, you know, subsidized. So we hardly ever pay anything for anything, which is amazing. And I didn't realize like how um, like different the system is in the U S until I saw something different, right? Like, um, in the U.S., like I realized looking back, I would always wait if one of my kids was sick. Like, oh, gosh, like are they sick enough to bring to the doctor? Though, like, yeah, they've been super sick for five days. They're suffering a lot. But if I go to the doctor and nothing's wrong, then we have to pay like a seventy-five buck copay, copay. You know, like, and here it's like I never have to think about that. If I feel like my kid's really sick and I'd like him to see the doctor, we just go to the doctor because I'm not going to have to pay anything. And it's amazing. It's so nice. And I don't have to wait in the waiting room ever, maybe five minutes, but usually not. I show up because it's just a local little neighborhood doctor. So I show up and they're like, hi, come on back. And there's like, sometimes nobody in the waiting room, sometimes one person, but it's like, it just feels so 
intimate and so friendly and like little community, you know, like this is our little neighborhood doctor and they know us and it's comfortable and it's always a good experience. And so that is like very pleasantly, like a huge pleasant surprise compared to my experience in the US. And I didn't hate my experience in the US. It was just so commercialized, you know, it just felt like a revolving door of making money and like very impersonal and, you know, and, and, and painful for me to have to like pay every time I went like a huge copay. And you went with a seven week old. So was it, has it been pretty easy to like, um, follow along with like the schedule of well child appointments and immunizations and all that in Dutch or have they? I didn't do anything till we moved here because I wasn't sure if the system was different. So I didn't want to get like double shots or whatever. Um, But it's so like the government handles it all. So when you move in, you have to send in your shot records and then they just send you something in the mail that says your kid's ready for this shot. So go to the doctor. And before the age four, children from zero to four go to a different doctor. That's um, just for little babies, basically. And it's so funny. It's like a little, um, <laughs> like a conveyor belt almost. Like it's, it's this room and the perimeter of the room is lined with little um, incubators. And so you like approach one and you, that's yours for the time you're there and you undress them and you do all the things. And then you take them over to the section where they weigh and measure the baby. And then you go back to your little cubicle and you wait there and then they call you and it's just so funny and so different, like a little, you know, like a little baby conveyor belt kind of thing, but it's been great. And it's been very, that part actually is very similar to the States. You know, it's like the, every, most kids get immunizations and the well checkups are very, very similar. So are there childcare benefits for the little ones there in the Netherlands? Yeah, there are. So public school starts at age four. So that's free. Um, and anything before that, it depends if you're working, if you and your partner are both working, or if you're an entrepreneur or a student, then childcare is subsidized by the government quite heavily. And so depending on your income levels, you get different percentages of your childcare costs covered benefit that just gives families so much freedom to be able to, um, make money that they need to survive and also to, you know, to have good programs for their kids. It's really, and it's the same kind of system with doctors. They have like neighborhood, you know, like childcare centers. Um, And so it's just really convenient for people. They don't have to drive an hour to drop their kid off and drive an hour the other way to go to work, right? It's just like five minutes down the road. Here's my little center, drop your kid and go. Have you used those for your little ones? Yeah. So my, I have a two-year-old now. And so he's in an international kind of play group thing just for three days a week three mornings a week. So just half days. Yeah, it's great. He loves it. I get a little break, get some things done. So it's great. That alone is a reason to stay in Europe, I think. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) If you ask me, have you been able to do much travel? Oh yeah, definitely. We try to do, so some, the, the best piece of advice I got before we came here was somebody told us, um, you can save money when you go back home. Like you're going to regret it if you don't try to travel as much as possible. And so, um, you know, within reason, obviously we're like responsible with our money, but 
if somebody hadn't told me that I probably would have been less inclined to like travel at every opportunity, but we really do almost every time the kids have a break, we try to go somewhere. And, um, that's been amazing. I don't personally love, I've never had the travel bug. That's like, let's travel the world. This is sort of like an accidental adventure, but I know I'll regret it if I don't do it. And so, yeah, we've traveled all over Europe. It's been wonderful. It's been amazing to see so many things. And just like, you know, stuff that you, I took several art history classes in college, like just to see stuff that we'd studied in college and like, like in depth and be like, there it is. Like, here we are. I never really thought I would see this, you know, and, and it happens all the time. You know, it's not just like one little trip to see one thing. Like I'm seeing all of the things that I've seen in all the books and I don't know. It's just amazing to be able to do that kind of stuff. And it's so funny to see the kids because kids see things very differently. So (laughs) we've been to all these, like the main big cities of Europe and done all the, you know, touristy things that are like, you know, so amazing. And the kids, like, if you say, what's your favorite vacation? They're like, remember when we went to that hotel and it had that really cool pool, you know, it's like that to them was like the best. That was so fun. Like we should go back there. And it's like, really? But do you remember the Eiffel Tower? Like, that was pretty cool too, right? And they're like, yeah, that was cool too. But like, in their little brains, like, they're like, another cathedral? Are you serious? Like, they're just kids, you know, they just want to play. It's so funny. Yeah. So what do you think will be next for your family? Oh, gosh. That is the question of the day, isn't it, as expats? I feel like I do a complete flip-flop every day. You know, and my friends at this point are probably like, don't believe anything Austin says, because I'll be like, 100%, this is the plan. This is what we're doing. And the next day, it's like, no, actually, (laughs) complete opposite. Now this is a plan. I'm serious this time, right? So it's really funny because we went to back to the States for the first time this last summer. We hadn't been in two years. And that was a really interesting experience because I thought that I would go there and just be like, "Mm, yeah, it's what I remembered. Um, because I really love Europe and it was like the second I got off the plane, I wanted to kiss the ground. I was like, cancel everything, change all the plans. Like we're getting back here as soon as possible. And I remember my husband and I had a two hour drive from the airport to my parents' house. And so he was driving and I got out this notebook and I, on the first page, I wrote like plan a, and it was like exit strategy from Europe to move back to the U S And, um, we just like wrote furiously, like, here's what's going to happen in, you know, in three months, we're going to do these steps and then we're going to do this. Then I'm going to start networking here so that I can get this position so that we can move here and this will happen, right? Like how to get back home. And the second page was plan B stay in Europe. And like, after we filled out the whole plan A, we got to plan B and I was like, okay, let's talk about plan B. And then we both kind of looked at each other and just started laughing. Like, why would we fill that out? That's hilarious we don't want to do that. And we just closed the notebook. And then we came back to Europe. And like, that was like, without question, that was the plan. Like we're moving back here as soon as possible. And then once we got back to Europe, like it just faded, that plan just faded. And now we're like, we've scrapped that plan. It's like, we don't really have plans to go back in the near future. Maybe we don't know. And so it's just been a roller coaster, but for me, it's been so hard because I'm such a planner and I, and I always want to have like a goal that we're trying to achieve. So just having this like swirling uncertainty has been like horrible. Cause I always feel like, what's my purpose? What am I, what are my actions leading to? 
it doesn't, it doesn't feel like I'm doing, I'm not moving forward in any way. We're just like, I don't know. And so, um, so we just bought a house (laughs) in the Netherlands, which I never in a million years thought I would do, but just that simple act, not simple, but the act of buying a house and having something that's concrete, even if we do end up moving, you know, in two years or so, like just having at least that for now has really fixed the, the, the pain I've had with the uncertainty, because now I can just be like, well, who knows the future, but we have, we have this right now. Cause I think yeah. when you're renting, everything is just so temporary, you know, you at the drop of a hat, like your life is different in one second. Right. But at least if you have a home that feels like your place and feels like your life is here right now, I think that really helps. So anyway, who knows what will happen. Um, but I'm open to anything. I'm open to another international move now that I know the amazing benefits of it. And I'm also open to going back home. But I, as of right now, like I don't really love that option. I want to go home to visit, but I don't necessarily want to because it's been so amazing for my family. And I don't want to take that away. Yeah. It sounds like you've got a great setup there with the village life and the international schools. Mm-hmm. I'm sold. Really? <laughs> Good. So what would you, what advice would you have for someone wanting to make a bold move like this? Oh my gosh. What advice would I have? Um, honestly, like the biggest thing that I could say is aside from do it 100%, if, if you have the chance to do it, um, I think it's like an attitude shift. Um, for me, I I remember seeing a, um, one of my favorite people is Glennon Doyle. She's like a, an author and a blogger. She's really great. But I remember two things from her that I saw years ago that just stuck in my head. But one was her and her daughter standing at an ocean at sunset, like looking off into the ocean. And the caption said, it's like the mother talking to the daughter. Here is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Don't be afraid. And I loved that. And it always stuck in my head. And the second one was um, just a quote that she's coined that says, life is brutal. So it's beautiful, equal parts, beautiful and brutal. It's brutal. And so um, I've always had that image in my mind of just standing, you know, with my arms open and just saying to life, like, yeah, it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be scary, but I'm going to say yes, because it's going to be amazing. And that just kind of sums it up. Right. I don't know if you've seen the movie. Yes, man with Jim Carrey. (laughs) It's like, it's a ridiculous movie where he like something happens to him and he can't say no. So he has to say yes to everything. And so he has all these crazy experiences, but I like the notion because if you combine all those things, like something scary is in front of you, just say yes. Like I try to do that as much as possible. If something's scary and terrifying to me, that's a sign that I should probably do it and try to just experience life because then I feel like I'm living. I'm not just like living in this comfortable place, not actually doing anything, but I'm experiencing something and it might be really hard. It might be really painful, but I think those are the times where you really um, grow and you learn and you're impacted by life. And to me, that's, you know, having a chance to move abroad gives you that opportunity times 5,000. You have so many more opportunities to do that and to be exposed to things that you never would have the opportunity to do. 
So my advice would be do it 100%, face the fear and, and go into it with an open mind and open heart and know that it's going to be really hard. And it's also going to be really wonderful. Both. It's going to be both. And um, my second thing would be um, join Facebook groups and try to make some contacts so that you have, you can ask people questions. They can give you advice, what they wish they'd known, what they wish they'd done. And you can sort of have that support group before you get there. Wonderful, wonderful advice. And thank you for that reminder. Yeah. I just saw something the other day that too, that said like, nobody ever says, Oh, this one time when I was in my comfort zone, I did this amazing thing. (laughs) It's always like you had this crazy trial or like something, you know, something was very scary, but then you took a step in the dark and something amazing happened. You know, it's like, it's just a testament to try, just muster up the courage and just go for it see what happens. It might hurt. It might be horrible, but you'll grow from it. Something, something good will come out of it in the end. Do you want to tell our listeners where they can hear more from you? Yes. I host a podcast called expat hour where I interview expats all over the world about their life stories. So it's more of like a human interest piece. Who are the expats of the world with a little bit of um, tips and tricks in there about expat life. So that's at expat hour on all podcast platforms. And then I'm on social media at expat hour. Okay. I hope Austin's message was as powerful and encouraging to you as it was to me. The day we recorded this, her words were exactly what I needed to hear. And if you would like to follow Austin and listen to her podcast, I have linked to that in the show notes. And again, I hope I will see you over in the Facebook group. And thank you for hanging out with me today. Until next time, keep dreaming those big dreams and scheming bold moves.